Hello, and welcome to another episode of Character Reveal. It's that show where we reveal people's characters and sometimes hit the listeners with a take two. <laughs> As always, <laughs> I am your lovely boy of a host, Dom, aka Brother Dom on the internet. I'm doing great. And as always, once again, like all the other times, I am joined by my hella sweet co-host. Could you please tell the people what you sound like? I can, and before I introduce myself, I have to say the lovely boy sounds like the title of an inappropriate anime. <laughs> um. <laughs> it's it, it's the, uh, the less pornographic version of Golden Boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I stole it from a podcaster who stole it from somebody else. It's, it's a whole thing. Okay, well, I am Stephanie. I am the co-host of Character Reveal. I am Captain Steph on Twitter and the Snow Queer on Tumblr. And we are joined by a uh, lovely guest this week. May you introduce yourself? Uh, I may. You may. <laughs> uh, I'm Izzy, Izzy Smith. Um, I'm usually young.achilles on Instagram. Um, so, you know, peep me there if you like. I don't post anything but food and pictures of my backyard. So <laughs> That's the important stuff. Uh, how you doing today, Izzy? You know, I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Um I'm glad. I'm glad to be here uh, secretly again. Um, so, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm having a good day. Um, I'm on the I'm on the the downswing of a cold, but uh, I just really enjoy talking to you guys. So I'm happy to be here. Oh, it's much appreciated. It's, uh, I mean, you sound great as always. So uh, it doesn't even sound like you have a cold. So no hate from our end. <laughs> again, for the people who aren't so psychic and can't tell the past or the future. What's the cool, nerdy, awesome things that you do? Oh, man. That's a big question. Well, my, like, main gig involves research. I work as a research supervisor for the City of Lancaster's Commission to Combat Poverty. So I'm overseeing all kinds of research projects related to poverty uh, in the city, nationwide, and sort of best practices for what to do about um kind of the various traumas that poverty creates. Uh, all of my side swag involves writing. Um, I write for Lancaster newspapers. I occasionally, like, you know, send one of my dope poems to, like, a zine or something. Um, yeah, and, uh, you know, recently I've been hustling hard with my local chapter of the NAACP, doing a lot of good work there. Ooh. So, yeah. Well, that's a... That's- Definitely a lot of work to be done with the NAACP at this uh, point in time. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, I guess a question I have for you, um, something I've been thinking about a lot, which is, um, for better or for worse, it's even though we've talked recently, there's still a lot to talk about. How do you find a balance between wanting to speak about important things, such as probably the things you're working with with the NAACP and you know, the frequent shootings that are happening uh, uh, the week of this recording, but about however many weeks ago when it's released, how do you balance that with wanting to talk about, like, the new Marvel variant covers or something like that? Does it ever feel that I should be t- I should be talking about something more important, but there's this cool thing? Yeah, you know, I did feel that way for a very long time, Dom. But I kind of, I guess, I found a kind of way to uh, way to internally marry the two because I think the the best kind of antidote to the kind of to racism to 
discriminatory policing to poverty and all these things in the black community is just really to celebrate life in the black community. So you're like, what does that mean? So what I'm saying is, is that when I get down um, about, and when other people in my community get down, other poets, other researchers, other members of the NAACP, um, you know, who happen to be African American, I think it, it actually like it give us gives us light to talk about new iterations of our culture, especially when those iterations are respectful, which can be kind of rare. So, for example, um, me and my brother, uh, we take this kind of stuff very hard. So. Uh, my brother, who's 10 years my senior, almost every time there's a new police shooting, so like pretty frequently, my brother comes over and we sit around my mother's dining room table and we just kind of commiserate. Yeah. Uh, and what we found is that talking about the new Luke Cage or like, did you see how they remix the Enter the Wu-Tang album cover or even talking about like, oh man, the Falcon is now Captain America. You know, let's see what internet races crawl out of the woodwork and what ridiculous things they say. Um, helps. It's a, it's a mutual point of contact, uh, for African Americans. And I think our culture has always been that and that it helps us survive. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So yeah, I was fighting with that the other day. Um, for instance, I was, re- you know, reposting a lot of political things, but then I was like, well, there's this really cool Sonic pre-order, and I want to talk about that. Um, it kind of feels unfair to be felt that you're pigeonholed into something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, that's something I just wanted to ask you because it's been weighing on me uh, pretty heavily over the last. I mean, well, I'd say the last couple of days, but if only we could be so lucky that this was only an issue over the last few days. Right. You know what? Yeah. I want to say this uh, to you, to to anybody who might be listening. Um, I just don't like ever feel bad. Don't ever regret doing something, engaging in something that helps you survive or gives you life. Like ever. That's fair. Yeah, that's um that's something I've just been trying to teach myself. You know, it's I always uh, struggle with you know what's my responsibility as somebody with even the tiniest platform, just if five people listen to what you say, should you be saying something important? Which I do, but I don't ever want people to think that I'm ignoring the issues because of they know Sue's appearance in a trailer or something. <laughs> Which, you know, <laughs> if we ever get that, that would also be interesting too, but <laughs> oh, but that's a dark start to something. <laughs> let's, let's tuck and roll out of that. So something I asked you about before um, that I'm always astounded by is, you know, really, you said you said you just read a lot and that's how you keep up with so many articles. But how is it that you stumble upon so many interesting things that are, you always put on our feeds? Um, so I actually a lot of it is the people that I'm on Facebook with. Um, so that's like my primary social media and kind of where I go buck wild, actually, to the point where, like, now when I make, when people are like, oh, I'm going to friend you on Facebook, I'm like, I'm going to accept your friend request, but, like, be warned, my Facebook is a little wild. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm going to monopolize your feed, um, and it's going to be about race and comics uh, and, like, Title IX, and you're going to have to get used to that. Just like, so we're, you know, we understand each other. Um, so I think the, the proliferation of Internet journalism 
Uh, and this is like like a far cry from what you actually asked me, but <laughs> it all ties into the same, probably. I think that it's sort of broad proliferation, and in some ways, um, democratization um, has led to the creation of, or has, really has led to this kind of development of a high speed culture. And okay. you know, they criticize us. Uh, you know, that's a millennial thing. I remember last time we talked about. Millennials are not that, that like we don't have the time for you know education etc cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, but so like I said, as millennials, they criticize us a lot for this kind of high speed, short attention span culture. But I honestly really feel like a lot of the people I talk to, in terms of the wealth of articles that they read, probably read as many pages a day as they would if they were I don't know if they were reading like. Bleak House or something like that, you know? Yeah. Um, I know I certainly probably go through like a hundred pages of internet journalism in a given day. But to actually get back to answer your question, uh, is that I have uh, boss-ass friends, um, like, like you guys, for example, um, and other people who keep me apprised of what's going on in, in their individual world and kind of by consuming all of those things, um, I feel like I have the advantage of having a really broad perspective. I know that I always feel pretty pleased with myself if I see something that I think you would be interested in and I'm the first person who has told you about it. <laughs> Usually something to do with race and comics, but... Right. <laughs> it's a, yeah. it, it is always fun to have that one friend who is... That's the guy who knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it's cool because you never consider... I've never heard you talk about being the guru of knowledge, for instance, but I've, I've heard people refer to you that way, so I feel like it's a lot better if it's not self-given. All right. <laughs> so I know that I sometimes, uh, if I'm having a slow day in terms of wanting to actively engage with what's going on in the world, sometimes my news is just whatever I see from Izzy's feed and what I <laughs> see from scrolling Twitter. So I definitely appreciate that you go to the effort you do to curate the news that you do. It's really keeping some of us going. <laughs> hey, I appreciate that. You know, I think sometimes it's better, the the news that I get from Facebook, because, like, if you go to, the, say, like, the front page of the, of the BBC, or, you know, you pick up a paper copy of the New York Times, you have to, like, obviously there's the big national news, imported, but to find, like, every once in a while... I think in a newspaper, you'll find like a nugget, like tucked on page like A7, right? Mm-hmm. And it's a, it'll be a short, it'll be a few column inches, but it breaks into a really interesting issue, which isn't getting enough attention. Those come on Facebook all the time, and I don't have to like, like dig through anything to find them. I don't, you know, so for mm-hmm. example, um, I have a friend who, uh, is from Peru. And so, like, political issues in Peru don't really come up in the New York Times unless it's, like, an Alberto Fujimori-level, like, crisis. Because, you know, largely as Americans, we don't care. Um, you know, we only have so much bandwidth, uh, kind of, mentally and socially, and, and that doesn't get included. But she, because, like, that's her culture and where she comes from, represents that out all the time. Um, and so I have access through her to the sort of things that I wouldn't get by watching, like, 
the nightly news with whatever like pale shadow of Dan Rather they have on them. <laughs> <laughs> bang bang. <laughs> There's something that I, I do find the internet news cycle in the sense of sharing to be a lot more informational and up to speed. Uh, I mean, no matter what the L it is, whether it's correct or lying, right wing, left wing, centralist or not, it's always ahead of the news cycle. Um, I forget what it, it was. A, it was like a domestic terrorist attack, but Reddit had had found the guy incorrect, like the incorrect guy, found out where he lived, said, "Oh no, that's the wrong guy. Don't talk to him," and found the new person. While ABC and CNN were still saying, oh, crap, something just happened in Boston or wherever it was. And it's like, look on the Internet. They they know where the guy is that did it because of these pictures. We're not saying go arrest that guy necessarily, but, you know, Internet vigilantism isn't great. But the fact that we were all up to date with everything that CNN was saying two hours later was just miraculous to me that they don't have some kind of like crack Internet team to stay on it, you know. Even the riots that have uh, occurred after tragedies in the last few years, you know, you have people on Periscope, on uh, Facebook Live, or it's analogs, or even just streaming services like the sit-ins and stuff. Those are showing up online because people aren't the, the typical channels can't keep up with that kind of thing, and I just find that really interesting, you know. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting too um, when we had the bomb go off in New York earlier this week, last week. I had no idea that it happened. I had two people message me before I saw anything even on Facebook or um, or my own Twitter or any place even where news is relatively fast and spreading. Um, no knowledge of it until a friend from Pittsburgh texted me and said, are you okay? I heard there was a bombing in New York. And I was like, yeah. I didn't hear anything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, that's wild that that's the case, <laughs> that it can happen that way. Um, not to... Not to give aid um, and comfort to your stalkers, Stephanie, but where do you live? Is it are you Central oh. Park North or um uh, Northwest Harlem? Okay. Oh, you're okay. So you're you're like up there. All right. Yeah, hundred and forties for the stalkers. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's so much effort for. Yeah, that's not, that's only what like three square miles of. Yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Um, it just sounds like a lot of effort to commit a crime. I don't know. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't do it anyway, but if I, I was, was a criminal, that... I wouldn't really. <laughs> Thanks for that uh, stirring cry to not stalk me. <laughs> yeah, it sounds like too much work. I wouldn't do it. So, uh. <laughs> well, we're, I, you know, when, um, <laughs> you know, there's, just, there's something great about that is that, like, like I would stalk you, you're like a total babe, but like that sounds like a lot of effort. <laughs> a lot of effort. <laughs> like I feel like this, this someone needs to make this off-color joke like like a Dane Cook or, or Pat Oswalt needs to make this joke because it's not funny. But the idea of a millennial being a total creep and wanting to, just, to stalk somebody but find out like how much effort it is, like, oh, can you just like post more pics on Facebook or something? Like, I don't know. I feel like a baby boomer has to to call us out that way. It's not in good taste, but the joke is pretty easy and someone's going to laugh at it. There's a free one for the, the haters. It's easy. You, say, you were going to get hella flamed on the internet for saying Patton Oswalt and Dane Cook in the same breath. <laughs> you know, um, I mean, even even by my metric, I, I, I wouldn't put them in the same breath on, on talent-wise uh, by, <laughs> by a long shot. 
One of them is Emmy nominated, and one is a Family Guy punchline. I'll let you decide <laughs> which, but it's not hard to find out. Um, but I just meant that they're both willing to say things that not Dane Cook. He's just he does stupid stuff. I meant like Daniel Tosh. Um, <laughs> Dane Cook That's just down here, man. Yeah, Daniel Tosh. He, him and Pat Oswalt will say things that have offended people. Um, okay. And, you know, that that's part of comedy, whether or not you agree with it or if they're doing it the right way or not. I just meant that I feel like they would make they could make a joke about stalking someone, but being lazy in the crowds, it could play to them. Right. OK, that's, three things. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. No, that's all I have. I'm rambling. Please okay. save me. <laughs> all right. So three things real quick. First of all, one of the funniest moments of Archer, having seen like every episode of Archer, is when there's a new trainee asking Archer if they use if he's going to learn karate and archer says karate ha the dane cook of martial arts one of the funniest moments <laughs> oh man um okay thing two real quick jumping back to i think we were having like an actual conversation at one point Maybe. um but there's actually there's an xkcd um this is a random monroe comic for anybody who wouldn't know uh, about kind of exactly what we were talking about, about how tweets about an earthquake uh, eventually, or, or really not eventually, but kind of at first, uh, will outpace the actual shock waves of the earthquake. That's intense. Yeah, that's <laughs> yeah and just like thinking about like, you know, like getting a tweet about an earthquake and then being like, whoa, right, as the ground shakes. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's like a thing that we have to, we have to live with. Um, in this world. And then three, um, yeah, Stephanie, exactly like you said, uh, I have a friend uh, who lives in Brooklyn and um, I'm very solicitous of this particular friend. And so even though, you know, they don't live in Chelsea, I was like, hey, you know, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> they were like, like, okay, what? I'm knitting. <laughs> <laughs> like, they were like home knitting, right? Like they were yeah. handling their business. Can I, oh, can I mention, like, a thing that's, like, interesting to me that's not relevant to anything? Absolutely. Yeah, man, that's what the show's about. Nice. There's, like, a, there's like a, a volume of data, right, um, at which point... Okay, so imagine you were at, like, Google in Palo Alto, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And you need to get a large amount of data to, like, Google London. Okay. The, there's a, a threshold of data, and I think it's, it's probably a little lower than you might imagine, where it's more efficient to, like, take the hard drives out, put them in a briefcase, give them to a dude, put the dude on the plane, um, uh-huh. and then have him go to Google London, plug the hard drives in and keep moving, where, like, that's more, at least, you know, at least time-wise, more efficient than, like, sending the data by the internet. And while that threshold gets, gets bigger, I just like to, I, it gives me some weird pleasure to think about, like, nah, dude, just here, just take this briefcase. I don't have time to send this over the internet. <laughs> that sounds impossible. That sounds impossible. And I know it's not, but I don't, I, I can't wrap my head around how that's, how that's feasible. Well, like, how fast is your, like, upload connection? I mean, I'm not Google, is what I mean. <laughs> well, I mean, certainly, like, clearly you're not Google, but, like, how fast is it? Like, I, yeah. I don't know. Not that great. It takes me about, 20 minutes uploading one of these episodes, which is about, I don't know, a couple hundred megs or something. Less than a gig. Okay. So, okay, let's say it's like 500 megs. Yeah. Okay. So 500 divided by 20 is 25, right? I'm not an idiot, right? Sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, okay. 
So you've got like 25 megs in a minute. And like, that's fine. Uh, but like, okay, let's say Google has like a thousand times that. So they're, they're uploading like 25 gigs in a minute. They're probably doing like better than that. But there's a, like a point at which, so 25 gigs in a minute times 60 times say 10 hours will break out the uh, the handy dandy calculator that my teacher said I would not have walking around with me in my life. Uh, <laughs> you mean one of those digital abacus? <laughs> um, so twenty five megs a minute times sixty, for in case anybody forgot, times like let's say eleven hours. So after, if you need to move um, seventeen thousand or more. Um, <laughs> kind of, um, then you're going to want to put that dude on a plane, speed-wise. Oh, yeah, because you have to download it, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's I, just, yeah. I guess it's, yeah, Google has super internet, but they also have super files, too, so that's... Also super money, so like... Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> when you started out with, imagine you work at Google, and I was like, oh, man, benefits, salary... <laughs> right, it's important to note that, like, Stephanie and I went to Carnegie Mellon, and then while we were getting our humanities degrees, a bunch of our friends were, like, graduating, going off to San Francisco or Seattle, and making, like, 80, 90, 100K fresh out of college. Yeah, but Conference. how many of them are on this podcast right now? <laughs> Goose egg. <laughs> There's infinitely more people who didn't do that on this podcast right now. Well, then. <laughs> if, if we wanna... <laughs> that's, that's not... You know, it's all relative. <laughs> Which is not to say that they won't be on this podcast eventually, but as of now, at this yeah, moment. Yeah, I've got at least one who lives in Seattle queued up, so. <laughs> <laughs> right? We'll see. I mean, but you guys went to Carnegie Mellon. Uh, so, I mean, you're essentially best friends with Leslie Odom Jr., and you can get him on the show, right? I mean, yeah, like, I mean, I'll just call plan. him on our pocket, like, CMU phone. Yeah, can yeah. you call, like, call up your buddy Chad and get him to come down here? Right, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you want to tell us about that again? Because that's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> uh, so there's a, a man who acts as an arts consultant for, um, oh, I should back up. Uh, briefly, because I couldn't decide what to do after I graduated from college, I ran a small nonprofit focused on African-American theater. Good job. Okay. Um, Good job. <laughs> yeah, there's, I have no way of not knowing that's what you, of knowing that's not what you went to school for, like. <laughs> um, well, I, I sort of did go to go to school for that. Um, went to school for theater and anthropology. So uh, this consultant, you know, had worked with you know a variety of people, and he was assigned to our particular nonprofit, and that was through the state's kind of arts granting process. They assign out nonprofits, and so we had traveled to a conference out. In, where were we? I think we were in Greenville. And <laughs> we'd gone to this theater conference actually right after going to another one at the University of Maryland. And, you know, this guy, this uh, consultant, John, goes, hey, there's somebody I want you to meet. You know, I think, you know, um, you find him interesting. He just did a movie. Right. And so, <laughs> so I'm like, OK, yeah, fine. Like, whatever. I don't think of myself as like a person who's like easily starstruck. Um, but apparently I'm a sucker for Chadwick Boseman. <laughs> As one should be. Yeah, I don't know if anyone would blame you for that. Yeah, so, and, and you know, the, so he's just like, oh yeah, oh hey Chad, and I'm like, ugh. 
Who's Chad? Right? <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And this, oh man, somebody's gonna hear this, this one day. This smooth, lovely chocolate man sort of saunters over. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think that's like that's that's an objective opinion though. <laughs> and he said he's just like, "Hey, what's up, man? Chad, nice to meet you." And you know, I'm like, "Oh, okay. I'm just gonna stare at you for a minute, <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll extend my hand." Um, and then like he had to go off and do something else. It was just like bit right. Like I was like a tiny satellite in the orbit of another guy who was in this guy's orbit. <laughs> um, but I do love to tell people about that time I met Chadwick Boseman, um, which is why he's the Black Panther now. <laughs> it's completely tied to your influence. You know what? I don't like baseball at all. At all, I don't fucking like it. It's boring. Um, but Forty Two is a great fucking movie. That's true. Just while we're talking about Chad, yeah, oh, I was, yeah. Trying, I was I like, think, I was trying to think of the through line until I didn't think about it. Look, you want to know what I got out of that movie before we get back to Mr. Chad? Um, the, the whole dude, like, first off, he's like, oh, man, I don't want to go to Pittsburgh. And it's like, hey, hey, come on. But second, the one dude's like, hey, buddy, you think uh, you think they're going to accept, uh, you know, black people in baseball? And the dude puffs a cigar. He's like, there's only one color that matters, and that's green. And I'm paraphrasing, but that was the most baller ass line an entire like psh, I don't care if they're racist they're still gonna come see this they're still gonna come see our sport and we're gonna get that paper they they can say what they want to say right and that's exactly what's gonna happen with the Black Panther movie I don't yep. think anyone's pit like I have I, maybe I'm lucky enough curated my timeline I have not heard a negative peep with any kind of racism towards Black Panther Oh, I mean, it was, it was few, I mean, like, I saw some a couple years ago, maybe back in 2014 when they announced it. Some, you know, some people got on Twitter, you know, like, talking heads with bad white haircuts. <laughs> like, um, just like, oh, well, we couldn't have a movie called The Klansman. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, is The Klansman a popular Marvel hero? Because I'm sure they're gonna, he'll get a movie before Black Widow does, if we're being right. honest. Right. Pro- probably. Um, <laughs> And just like the like the sheer density of people who fundamentally don't understand the difference between the Ku Klux Klan and the Black Panthers <laughs> blows me away, makes me want to pull my face off. Um. <laughs> it has to be. And I, I, I'm at the point. I just hope it's willful ignorance at this point because if there's someone who legitimately doesn't know and doesn't think that they're different. I, I'm I'm more concerned like about that, you know. Again, I can I can. I mean, I was never taught the difference until I learned about it myself. Like, yeah, but how old were you? Probably in college. I went to Catholic school in a <laughs> podunk white town for twelve <laughs> years. <laughs> okay, that, uh, uh, but what made you seek out to know the difference? Did someone tell you they were different and you just believed them? Um, I think honestly, it probably came across my Tumblr dash, and I was like, oh, I'm glad I learned that. I had no idea. I guess that's fair. Uh, okay. Well, now, now I know. <laughs> so you know what? Oh, go ahead. I forgot. I wanted to say something about Chadwick Boseman, but I can't remember what it was. <laughs> okay. I was going to say. Uh, so you mentioned them going to Pittsburgh, and actually, it's funny. Um, you familiar with the God? What were they called? The Crawfords? The Crawford something. Um, mm-hmm. one of the first big uh, Negro League teams back in 1933, New National Negro League. 
uh, came out of Pittsburgh, and I think it was the Pittsburgh Crawfords. Um, and so actually, like you mentioned, Pittsburgh, right? And obviously, we've all shared time in Pittsburgh, but there's actually a ton of history in terms of the Negro Leagues that actually comes out of this city. Sure. Um, I don't know why I said this city, because I'm not in Pittsburgh right now. <laughs> <laughs> None of us are ex- really in Pittsburgh right now. I'm the closest. To, I, well, I'm in my hometown, which is not in Pittsburgh. Um, it's in the south. I guess if Stephanie has doctors, I could too. It's about an hour south of the city, depending on how you drive. It's um, I am. I get I get what blocks I what blocks <laughs> I live. Wait, well, hold on. Let's take a. You could probably edit this out. So I guess let's take a bar. Okay. And then let me just say that I will be uh, in California um, on the thirteenth. The thirteenth of what? California, PA, obviously. Like about like, hey, I'm gonna be in LA. No, no, I meant like thirteenth of October. <laughs> Yeah, 13th of October. Uh, okay, no, we can leave this in even. Like, that's that's far enough from my house. There's a university there. Uh, that's about right. a half an hour from my house or so, which still hasn't bullseyed me. But, yeah, that's uh, – if you remind me, because I'm bad with dates, you would get like, get, like, a late lunch or something. Yeah, let's do that. Swag. Uh, um, yeah, California is interesting, but you're going to the university out there? Yeah, we – um, my mom and I – God, that's so weird. Um. <laughs> uh, we both we do a lot of academic conferences together, and this one is for the Frederick Douglass Institute, which is the Institute of Pennsylvania's state colleges uh, and universities focused on African American history and culture. That's dope. That's dope. Yeah, good Unrelated to that, but kind of speaking of smooth chocolate men, um, which is a the perfect segue. David Diggs should play Frederick Douglass in a musical where he raps because he has played Afro men who rap in musicals about history, and Frederick yep. Douglass should get one, damn it, because I don't know, he's a cool dude. Yep. <laughs> oh, no, I'm on board. I'm on board. Yeah, um, sign me up. Hey, actually, um, I'm just like just talking about, I'm, like throwing out tidbits, um, and the federal government isn't paying me to say this. I really wish they were, so get on that, Uncle Sam. But uh, if you're ever in D.C., Frederick Douglass's home in the city of Anacostia uh, is gorgeous, uh, but you can learn, learn a lot of history touring his house. Cool. I'll have to do that next time I'm in D.C. Um, dude was like a stray baller. He was like six foot something, had this massive mane of hair, was like ambassador to Haiti, you know, got free from slavery, taught himself three languages, like, you know, like had some like serious like tete-a-tetes with Abraham Lincoln about, like, you know, how we were going to treat the Negro. Um, and then, like, he has this big house on a hill in Anacostia. You can see the Capitol. You can see the monument. You can see whole parts of D.C. You can see into Maryland. Like, and apparently he used to just walk out on the roof, like the second floor, like, roof awning. And just, like, stand there and, like, look out, right? Like, well, I guess on some, like, Yurtle the Turtle bullshit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like to put that in perspective... Like, if you did that shit in 2016, where <laughs> we have, you know, there's still definitely struggles, we're not equal, but it's very possible for a black man to get rich in 2016 and do something like that. But that still would be considered baller today. Dude did yeah. that while there were slaves. Like, wow, it was very possible <laughs> he could have become a slave again. He's like, nah, I'm going to ball out. To Like, I, right. I don't want to compare apples to oranges or apples to racist Granny Smith apples, but that's a level of baller that I don't think too many other people really could have. Like, three languages is 
over, would be overachieving now. And he's like, I'm just going to do that, and y'all tried to not even let me read. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, exactly. Like, I guess what I, what I worry about um, with Frederick Douglass is, um, and honestly, I worry about this with me. I feel like I'm like a, like a fairly educated black man. Is that the examples of successful black people, while often they can be inspirational, there's like a cottage industry in American culture that does nothing other than say, this black people, you know, these black people succeeded. Why haven't you? Or like, you know, look what Frederick Douglass did. Why are all these kids in the ghetto, right? Like, look, Obama succeeded. Why are you complaining about racism, right? Um, and so I like, I worry about that with the sort of examples of stature. Uh, in the African American community, they become not an inspiration, but a, a weapon used to beat on black people who were just trying to survive. Yeah, that's true. And I, I, the the reason that pisses me off, I mean, besides the obvious reasons, is that we it, it's not a fair shake. You know what I mean? Um, for instance, let's use our boy A. Dot Ham. Uh, supposedly he was he was whiteish enough, right, to be considered a white guy. Like, he wasn't from the Caribbean area. Well, he was a white dude, right? Hamilton? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> I, was like, are you, I was like, are you asking me if Alexander Hamilton? <laughs> yeah. Go I, on. I, well, I've heard rumors about people like Beethoven and other people we were told were white weren't actually. So I'm, I'm, I don't trust the history to be 100% accurate is the reason I wanted to ask. But, you know, his whole story is I didn't have shit. Then I got a bunch of shit. Then I affected history, right? Um, right. And I was an immigrant, so if you're a white person from America, there's no reason why you can't do that with hard work. But at the same time, we'll, we'll, we'll do a doublespeak where we'll say, look, see, all these black kids got out of the ghetto. Why can't you look at all this affirmative action? That's why Timmy from rural America, the white guy, that's why he can't get a job is because all the blacks are taking it. But no one ever says, well, Alexander Hamilton didn't have shit and he made it. You know what I mean? Like we get the someone else made it, you can too. So it's annoying that other people don't get the you can too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then that, I guess that extends to pretty much any marginalized people, women, queer people, uh, people with disabilities and whatnot. But right. To take it back five hours, uh, speaking of things <laughs> happening on the internet fashion, they happen on real life. I get annoyed that I like to show Steven Universe, but people talk about spoilers from episodes because leaks come out and it airs other places before it airs when I can see it. So essentially, if I wanted to know what happens three episodes or so deep, I could find that right now. How do you feel about leak culture and spoiler culture? So essentially Twitter moving faster than an earthquake, but for things that don't quite matter as much. Um. (laughs) (laughs) So... First, let me say that um, as somebody whose undergrad was was, uh, in anthropology, uh, I often get frustrated with um, kind of that we've decided that uh, culture is like an appropriate suffix to like literally anything. So, but, you know, like that particular piece of pedantry aside. (laughs) um, I agree with you. I've just been unfortunately trained to do things like that. Oh, yeah. No, I agree. Totally. We um right like so like for me like uh, a culture is is a system of values beliefs institutions reactions symbols you know in this uh, in this constellation that like influences every element of a person's life um, like not just how they interact with people um, and kind of as we think about it like 
you know, like when we talk about like, oh, come see about Caribbean culture, it's like music, food, dance, and costume. Like, no, like how they view the world, right? Um, and so, like, for me, it's always about, like, like how can I add complexity to other people's understanding of the word culture? Um, and then, you know, they hit me with, like, Game of Thrones spoiler culture. And I'm like, is it is it really a complex system of, like, beliefs that govern your entire life? Or are you just pissed that somebody ruined an episode for you, right? Like, <laughs> You know, I, you're teaching me about culture and anthropology here, and I'm starting to, like, be a little bit afraid that... While culture might not be the perfect word for it, it's da- it's way closer to being a culture than it should be. Oh God, I hope not. <laughs> that's <laughs> that's the actual worrying part. Again, pedantry aside, it's kind of scary that there's a pl- there's system of beliefs, right? Well, within a certain amount of time, a certain language, a certain way to interact with each other, and it doesn't affect your everyday life. But people will say, "Guess I'm not using the internet today because spoilers," and it's like that has affected your life, right? I mean, so I gotta ask: Is this like a baited question? Because like, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty public. I'm pretty publicly like anti-spoilers, and not like I'm against spoilers. Like I don't really believe in spoilers. So, so you're saying you don't care if people spoil things? Yeah. So like, okay. my I think I discovered um, actually uh, like I think it was before I left for college um, that I didn't like I I wasn't bothered. Uh, when I found out, like, the end of something, like, that didn't reduce the, like, the level of interest for me. Like, somebody told me about, like, the uh, image at the ending of Grapes of Wrath, uh, which is great. It's a Steinbeck novel. You should read it if you haven't. And just, like, before reading, like, flipped to the, flipped to, like, the last three pages of Grapes of Wrath, read it. Um, and then, like, go back to the beginning, and I think that you'll find that you still have this, like, excellent experience. Um, and I don't know if it's like the, like the element of like weekly serials, like, you know, where you jump from thing to thing or that like TV is specifically designed to make money off of us by like keeping us hanging on the seat with the cliffhanger. Like, you're like, oh, I have to know what happens next week, which is kind of why like the Netflix, like here's a whole season at a time is kind of revolutionary, but I don't know what it is, but I don't know what, what gave people the belief that if they know the end of a thing, that the journey is, is any less like enjoyable. And I don't want to get like, I'm not going to try to be like all like faux Buddhist on people, but <laughs> yo, you know, you're going to die, right? Like one day you are going to be food for worms, right? You're going to be in a box. Yeah. Right? But I don't want to know how it's going to happen, man. Like that's terrifying. <laughs> like I know it's going to happen. I don't need to know that. I don't, don't spoil spoil the journey because if it's tomorrow, I don't want to know that now. Is it like you can you can enjoy this whole journey um, if you know the end tells you an entire story, then they've like told you the story, right? And now you have the story, and that's that to me is like a different thing. That's just telling someone a story, which in my mind is distinct from like spoilers, which is letting someone know like a detail or an ending. Right, so like if you tell me everything that happens in Frankenstein, that I don't need to read Frankenstein to figure out what happened. I might still read Frankenstein because it's uh, it's like a masterpiece and Mary Shelley writes very well, but I don't have incentive to go after the story. But if you tell me like, you know, like hey, the Frankenstein monster like kills a bunch of people or kills this person in this way, right? Or like Frankenstein, Doctor Frankenstein's lover dies, that like doesn't ruin. All of Frankenstein for me. Um, sure. I anyway, guess it's, I, um, yeah, I, 
because uh, I'm just I just wanted to like just talk about it a little bit because I needed to find something to talk about. <laughs> um, <laughs> but for instance, uh, uh, two ex- like there's different examples, you know, um, Star Wars, for instance. Uh, I guess despite our conversation, I'll still say spoiler alert, but it was last year. Get with the times, people. Um, Han dies and Han Solo dies in the new Star Wars, right? What? Um, yeah, it's wild, right? Um, and I think I'd heard stuff about that, but like to me personally, that's not. I, I didn't care because I didn't really have an investment in Han Solo or know why he was there. But to me, that's something that's kind of a a big. Like it, it's not that it was well written into the story. It wasn't like there was a great build up to it, in my opinion. But it was like a shock value. So the entertainment of that scene, if you want to call it entertainment, is the surprise of it happening. Because people, no one was really talking about like, oh yeah, Kylo Ren and Rey fight at the end, and then Rey kind of wins. If you told somebody without walking in the movie, they'd be like, yeah, I kind of assumed she's the good guy. I assumed someone was going to beat the bad guy, like, or at least they would go their separate ways. Probably no one's really going to die, you know, um, stuff like that. But I think about a game like Undertale that I like, so much of that game was seeing it for what it was worth, because I wouldn't say the gameplay itself was super super revolutionary you could still enjoy it with having some spoilers like again it wasn't the ending that was the if you said hey you save the underground you get out of there or you kill everybody and everyone's dead that doesn't okay who cares i don't have any context for that versus a game like sonic where the story is pretty dumb and it doesn't matter so you could explain the story to me (laughs) i'm gonna say i'm just here for the gameplay like if there wasn't a story it would still work so I just wonder if any of that has like if it just depends on what it, the moment is like does it impact does it does it impact the journey you know what I mean and is that a, yeah. is that a different journey if you know what's going to happen does that change how you see things like not me personally I don't think but like obviously like I can't I don't know all things though what's what's interesting to me is <laughs> I really I do not um, what's interesting to me I guess when we would talk about like spoiler culture um, and maybe I've adopted my particular viewpoint on spoilers because I'm like a contrary hipster kid, uh, is like the the amount of rage involved in spoiler culture. Like the level of like emotional get up kind of in people finding out that like you know like if somebody tells you that like you know like Jon Snow came back to life, right? Like like just like the sheer amount of like like why like why get angry at somebody like you didn't get to enjoy this particular piece of art like the way that you wanted to, and that's, like, fine, but, like, first of all, you don't have, like, that level of ownership over art that you think you do, so, like, just <laughs> use yourself with that notion. Um, but, like, like that you would, like, scream at somebody, get angry at somebody, like, have a fight with your friend because, like, they told you that something happened in a piece of art seems, like, completely ludicrous to me. But, if it, like, if it's just, like, hey, man, um, like, don't tell me how this thing ends, like, like, fine, like, like, cool, like, sure, like, if you say to me, Izzy, don't tell me what happens in episode 397 of Naruto Shippuden, (laughs) (laughs) um, I will say, like, okay, because, like, I'm not an ego monster, right? Sure. Um, (laughs) What does happen in episode 397 of Naruto Shippuden? Hold on, I gotta figure out which episode it is. I did just watch it, um, (laughs) <laughs> it's which it's like a maddening amount close to the end. Uh, the thing about I was saying this the other day. The thing that is super frustrating about Naruto Shippuden is the number of episodes that it takes to accomplish like a minute 
fucking task. <laughs> uh, it's really like, in fact, I would I would say that in some ways it surpassed what is undoubtedly one of its spiritual predecessors, Dragon Ball Z, in their ability to hang out a fucking fight. Like, <laughs> wow. Um, Steph, did you ever watch Dragon Ball Z? No, not as a kid. I've been trying to rewatch it, but yo, Goku fights Frieza for our time. <laughs> Probably an hour, at least, after the point where Frieza says Namek's gonna blow up in two minutes. These dudes fight <laughs> for four weeks, and the planet does not explode in that amount of time, just to know how much padding they do. I don't know what kind of bullet time Matrix crap they're trying to pull, but... <laughs> well, you're right on that, Izzy. And Naruto's slower? It, like, in a lot of ways... Okay, so it, it seems like episode 397 is an episode about the tune-in exams, but not like the original tune-in exams. Oh my god, I was going to have a heart attack about the original... <laughs> no, um, like Shikamaru running the tune-in exams or something. Okay. And I think that episode is about... Mm, I want to say it's about like Konohamaru. Okay. And like his peeps, but maybe not. I, I, can, just, I can imagine somebody being like, ugh, god. Don't you know that's not what that episode's about? It's actually (laughs) about ethics and gaming journalism. You know, like... (laughs) Like all Um, things are about. (laughs) Yeah. But yeah, so like, and it is, it's just like the amount of, uh, it's the amount of flashback. It's like, it's the amount of like, I have to see, like, somebody's entire narrative when they die. Like, I have to see, like, their whole backstory. And just what's frustrating about it is like, or for example, the number of times... In the course of Naruto Shippuden, when you're treated to the same flashbacks of interactions <laughs> between Naruto and Sasuke, like, like somebody, like they took a scene, and like obviously, like there's things around it, and obviously, like the flashback series gets longer. But the, like the number of times I've seen like the same interaction between Naruto and Sasuke, which was like 700 or some number episodes ago, is mind blowing. Like I get it. Naruto and Sasuke have a troubled past. And what's frustrating to me is this, is that when we're on episode 430 of Naruto Shippuden, <laughs> who thinks that, like, like you know, like, I don't need this information, because if I've watched episode 430 of Naruto Shippuden, <laughs> I damn sure watched all of Naruto. Like, like <laughs> jumping into Naruto, right, like, like 45 I- episodes from the end, right? Like... <laughs> Are you just trying to make it easier for, like, the Narasasu people to make fan bids? Because I'm pretty sure even they gave up a long time ago. Like, <laughs> Oh, my God. Didn't they do that shit in Kill a Kill, too? Like, they had a flashback, and then, like, after the big reveals, like, we're like, oh, shit, now you know everyone's motivations. Like, okay, we're going to do the same flashback, but from a different angle, starting midway through, <laughs> and finish it. So they're like, oh, oh, she didn't embarrass the dude. She gave him a chance. I see. It's like, why, why don't you show me shit the first time? Like, Well, that at least gives you a different perspective on what happened the first time. <laughs> That's fair. It's all like, or like the number of flashbacks, or the number of different people who have to have the reaction like, wow, Naruto's so much more powerful than he used to be. Like, I get it. That's the entire point of the show. Like, um, Show, don't tell. <laughs> so, okay, spoilers. Um... Episode 430 of Naruto Shippuden is in the middle of the infinite Tsukuyomi. So, right, like, the whole world except for, like, Naruto, Sasuke, Sakura, 
Kakashi and Obito are in a trap in a genjutsu. Um, sorry for those who don't know what that means, but I'm not. Um, so, <laughs> an illusion. Don't um, be a weeb. Just say an illusion. Um, I feel like it goes further than that, but fucking fine. An illusion. <laughs> an illusion. Um, and so, like, 30, 35 episodes. This is an intentional choice made by the people who produce the show. 30, 35 episodes of just people going through their illusion lives. And I'm like, kidding? What? No, I'm dead. I'm dead serious. They're like, everybody. They show like, this is like what Ten Ten's illusory dream life is like. This is what it's like. Like, there's one, it's like three layers deep. It's one, um, like, (laughs) Tsunade's dream life is her reading Jiraiya's book and then falling asleep and dreaming about a world where Minato (laughs) and Kushina never died and got to raise Naruto. Like, and that's like six episodes itself. Like, I don't know what the hell you're talking about, man. <laughs> None of this has any meaning to me whatsoever. Be like, please, please edit this out, because I've been just screaming about Naruto for ten minutes. Um. <laughs> nah, this is what people came for, and the stuff that I wanted to record last time that we had it. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'm the one that made your file of silence. <laughs> it wasn't um, a mistake. Like, I just wanted this again. <laughs> Um, it really, like, it was, it's just, like, it's so frustrating to me, because, like we talked about last time, I can give you, like, a good sense of what happened between Naruto Shippuden episode 350 and Naruto Shippuden episode 475, which is the one right before Sasuke and Naruto's final battle at the Valley of the End, um, mm-hmm. which I guarantee you will be 100% a flashback, right? Like, you know that. Oh, right. yeah, like, the, you might as well just, like, those place the entire episode in. Right. Um, we'll probably have a different episode from Zetsu's point of view. Yeah, exactly. Got it. <laughs> um, but, like, I can tell you about that in, like, 30 minutes. It's 125 30-minute episodes. That's so, so absurd. <laughs> it's, um, it's over 60 hours. What, 60 time. hours? Like, What? What? Um, okay, so I'm done. I'm done beefing about that. Let's new topic before I. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of uh, nerdy ass stuff and culture in general, um, how do you feel about the term nerd culture as a thing? Is it real? Like, do you, uh, as complex or as simple as you want to get? Since we've already got your your hot take on the term culture. Um. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think I feel like nerd culture is like a is like a real thing. I think it's often um, uh, like a detrimental thing. Okay. Ultimately, like the sort of there's a sort of prizing and a sort of defense I see uh, from people who have lots to be proud of or like don't need to defend themselves anymore that just becomes like mean. Um, so you know, acting as though like we're still like super bully nerds and that we have to like force people out of our subculture for not meeting like whatever demand that we have, which is that like they know some obscure thing about like the first issue of X-Men or something. Yeah. Right. Or like, or like, Oh, you know, you can't be in my subculture if you don't know this about Dr. Who, or, you know, if you identify as a woman, right? Like, yeah, (laughs) that's the big one. Um, There's the kicker. and, And so I just, I find that, so cultures often 
this is this is actually true of like cultures broadly. They do have like a, a gatekeeping. They have a sense of like who is and isn't uh, a part of their culture or what the standards should be for being a part of their ethnic identity. And, and sometimes that's uh, frustrating um, and difficult, and sometimes it's negative. And I, and I kind of, like, I understand why it happens. But since, like, geek or nerd culture is, like, entirely, entirely, 100% voluntary, um, yeah. <laughs> it's history that we should be able to articulate, like, a better set of standards, which could just be, like, appreciate a thing that you appreciate a lot. Like, that's, like, that's it. Like, like something, right? Like, that's it. That's our, like, and, you know, be diverse and just enjoy yourselves within that framework rather than saying, like, you know, like, these fucking casuals, right? Like, so, yeah. I guess that's, like, my <laughs> hot, hot take on, uh, on geeker nerd culture. And that's I, fair, I, you yeah. know what? If I can, um, if I can jump back in and, like, rejoinder myself. Do it. Um, <laughs> it is nice within that culture to be able to speak a shared language purely based on optional interests. So, like, for example, like, uh, Stephanie does mm-hmm. not live life, uh, as an African American person. I do. That is true. Um, <laughs> but, you know, earlier in the episode, Stephanie mentioned that, like, she comes to me with, like, a lot of stuff that's about, like, at the intersection of, like, race, and comics, because, right, like, comics, like, Stephanie's into comics, I'm into comics, so it's a shared medium through which we can communicate about things that we don't necessarily share in other ways, and that's great. So, you know, coming into that culture and expecting to find people who can communicate with you in, in that sort of, like, shared language way is excellent. I mean, it's nice to find those people, but it's also, like, unacceptable to be mean to people just because they're, like, don't know as much about a thing that you know yet. Sure. That's what's too far. I've been trying to think of it. Uh, people, you know, often want to say, they want to break down walls of gatekeeping and stuff like that and say, you know, you're a nerd just because you say you are. And I, I agree to that. Um, I agree with that to some extent. Um, not in a way that I want to push people out, but in a way that when I say, I, I, I just feel that there's a line, you know, between people that enjoy a thing and people that are, like us and really, really enjoy a thing. And not to say that one's better or worse, but I kind of get a different feeling when I'm talking about, say, the Avengers with my buddies we saw the movie with. We all loved it, and they'd consider themselves nerds. And I say, yeah, but then there's people that will go to conventions or be streamers or write fanfic or curate a Tumblr blog or start a subreddit. And not to say that that's any more valid, but I think that's a different kind of... It's to a different degree, you know what I mean? And... I hesitate to call those subcultures within a culture because it just seems redundant and uh, recursive. But I'm wondering if there's any, if that's the line of distinction that people are meaning to draw. Hard know. shrug. Yeah. Hard shrug. Because <laughs> <laughs> I just got so mad. I, I got mad at it before when people were like, oh, all these people are trying to be gamers. They're not real gamers because X, Y, Z. And it's like, well, buddy, you know, you're basing your real gamerness off of you know, spending hours and hours and hours on every Call of Duty, but you wouldn't say that the person who has spent equally as much time playing, say, Madden, or even... Even, like, Candy Crush. Well, if you play Candy Crush past, like, if you have ever purposely played Candy Crush when you were out of time or however that works, that's as hardcore as it gets, you know? 
So like women, women are casual. I'm like, yo, there's all these moms like setting up schedules to tend to plants on Farmville. I don't remember you scheduling Call of Duty freaking casual, uh, just to be that guy. But it's kind of a funny thing to think about to me, at least. Yeah, I think, I think that's that's exactly right. So for example, um, one of the things there was a bit of a a kerfluff, not like a big kerfluff. Like I'm not, I don't want to try to like dignify every Tumblr fight by like calling it like a newsworthy item. Um, <laughs> Uh, pay attention, fucking news media. Um, but yeah, guys, come on. Right? <laughs> you know, so Mass Effect Three. Love the Mass Effect series, like everybody else. Very frustrated by the ending. We get it. Um, so Mass Effect, and you know, a growing number of games have like a narrative uh, difficulty, which is like I'm interested in playing through the story, but I'm either like not particularly good at video games have some kind of handicap or, like, just don't want to, like, put forth a lot of effort to get access to the story. Um, And at first, I was like, ugh, that's so, no, like, that's so, that's gross, it's stupid, people should have to play, like, the actual game, right? Like, the challenge is part of the point. And then, like, stepping back, I think, like, why? Like, why do I care how hard it is for, like, X or Y person to play, like, you know, like, the latest release of, like... Anything. <laughs> yeah, like, like why am I... Why do I feel entitled to tell somebody how they should, like, enjoy, like, Caesar-based profits, Edition 12, right? Like, <laughs> they... Uh, you know, so, like, it's... I mean, like, and it's a story, and, like, I'm very much in the video games, uh, our art camp, um, but why am I going around trying to tell people how to enjoy art? Sure, you, you shouldn't. Um, right. <laughs> like, I, I think the hard part with games is it's, to my knowledge, the only medium that you need to possess higher and higher levels of skill to access all the content. For instance, the most difficult, den- most dense book you find, as long as you can read, you can get through that book. Will you enjoy it? Will you understand its content? Probably not. I mean, even if you're a great reader, you may or may not understand. Like Ulysses or something? Yeah, you just might not be able to fully grasp the point of it or enjoy it as much as someone else who has, like, the background in that. I mean, we can go to Mass Effect or Undertale. Undertale was a freaking hard game, actually, uh, at some parts. <laughs> like, stupidly hard. Like, the last boss is famous for that. So if you don't have the dexterity or the time to practice that, you can't see that ending. Or, you know, if if you, like you said, if you have a disability or you don't have the skills or you don't have the time, you can't see the story. And it's the only product that you can pay for something and there's something built in that says you can't have all of this. Um, if you buy the Blu-ray of Age of Ultron, maybe you shouldn't have, but... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe you just made a mistake. You get all the all the movie, the special edition features, all the stuff. You can watch it as long as you have the device. Um, but games are different in that way, and I wonder how do we remedy that? You know, um, because obviously you build your game nav challenge if you want it to be there. And I'm not saying that you should or shouldn't have a story only mode, but I wonder if that changes what the art is. You know what I mean? If for some reason the difficulty is part of the narrative, does it change? Does it fundamentally change the art? I mean, so I think, like, there's an element like yes and no, um, but accessibility uh, has to come has to come first. And why do I think that? We've had millennia, 
millennia of separation between high art and low art, art that's accessible to everybody and art that's not. Um, and okay, we've tried it 2000 years the one way. Let's, let's try it a different way now, right? Like technology is supposed to be about democratization. But to your point, so like, for example, The Last of Us, uh, which again, uh, one of my favorite games and I, and I genuinely believe one of the finest games of all time. The Last of Us um, is like, is, um, The Last of Us is to Izzy as Sonic is to you, Dom. Ooh, okay. Um, it's true. Um, <laughs> Just but to... the scarcity, uh, which affects the difficulty of the game, uh, especially on the higher levels, is part of the experience of gameplay. So, for example, um, you're in a post-apocalyptic scenario. If you're not familiar with The Last of Us, the premise is like an old badass and a young girl who is finger quotes not Ellen Page across <laughs> uh, the country and try to survive in a world where the cordyceps fungus has ruined everything by spreading to humans. Um, the cordyceps fungus is that one that makes like ants crawl to the top of plants and then die and then they their heads burst open and the spores fall out onto the forest floor. Oh gosh! Wow. Uh, yeah, and so right like it's a zombie it's a zombie survival horror game. Um, kind of based in that premise. And so, like, you do a lot of things. You have to put together items from various supplies you might find. Um, and you spend a lot of time, like, opening drawers or safes or things to find nothing. And that, like, frustration of, like, you know, you should be like, like, oh, I go, you know, like, if it was, like, I don't know, like, Zelda, right? Like, I break the pot, there's a rupee. I know how sure. this works. It's a formula. Um, but, you know, here, so where you might find, like, a bunch of stuff in this drawer, then you might find yourself pulling through drawer after drawer after drawer to find nothing. Um, and that, that, that is an intentional element of the gameplay. So in that way, difficulty does change the way that you experience the game. But by setting up like five separate difficulties, the people who made the game said, yes, there are different experiences at different difficulties. But we think the essential story, what you get on no matter what difficulty you play the game, is important enough, meaningful enough, that we want you to have access to it no matter what. And that's a noble approach, right? And we shouldn't shit on it. I, I agree with that. To keep it going with The Last of Us in particular, it's not a game I have played, um, nor is it necessarily a game I want to play because it seems very stressful with the zombies. I remember when zombies showed up in Uncharted and that was like the end of my playing the game. I was just like, I'm done. <laughs> but um Izzy was there for that. Um and Izzy that is it is in fact Izzy's fault that I am so familiar with The Last of Us, um, because you either gave it to my brother or inspired my brother to purchase it, but it's his favorite game in the world now too. And so despite not ever having played The Last of Us, I'm still very familiar with the story and very similarly moved by parts of the narrative that are intended to be moving without having experienced it as viscerally as someone who's actually played the game. So I think it's still, even a game like that where, like, they have, what's the, the top, the top difficulty level? It's like, got like, a nonsense. It's like, what is it? It's, um, easy, normal, hard, like, survivor and crushing, maybe? Crushing, yeah, I think that's it. Yeah, it's, it's some kind of, like, hyperbolic experiencing oh, it um, secondhand yeah you know i think actually you may have as much a grasp on like the visceral elements of the story um kind of as we do um, because like for example like 
you know, the bit with Sam and Henry. Um, like, you react to that, like, as viscerally as I do, so. Yeah. Um, so it had every, I have to watch it every, every single time he has played it. He has played this game, like, <laughs> of, like, in the dozens of times probably now, and somehow I always manage to come into the living room. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, some, sometimes there are parts of the game that, like, I've never sat and watched him play it from start to finish, so sometimes there are parts of the game where I'm like, what part, like, what season is this? Like, <laughs> what's going on? But 90% of the time I come in and it's Sam, the, the end of the Sam and Henry plot. Right. Thanks. Um, yeah, right. Um, I, I'm actually just impressed that he has the wherewithal to watch it every time. He, he, after I moved, he fucking sent me a screen ca- or a Snapchat <laughs> for the whole scene. <laughs> Troll status, I love it. <laughs> Oh, man. It was a video. I was just like... <laughs> Aren't you glad you got that app? <laughs> yeah, thanks. Oh, point of order. Ulysses was mentioned in, like, a breath, like, 15 yes, minutes ago. Yes, James Joyce. That's yeah. my opinion. Anybody out there who's, like, a literary nerd, but also just loves some, like, truly freak nasty things, read <laughs> James Joyce and his wife Nora's correspondence. Oh. Gosh, no, don't do that. <laughs> okay, so, like, what do you mean by freak nasty? Like, what do we mean here? Like, I'm not gonna, like, read this aloud on the podcast, uh, but, like, they are all up in, literarily, that is, uh, <laughs> every part of one another's body. Um, and they have found a way to fetishize every single bodily function, um, you know, between two, like, 30, 40, 50 year old. You know, like, people who have, like, the bodily functions of, like, unhealthy middle-class Brits, right? Like, <laughs> and they... We meant, like, not Clickers Freak Nasty, but, like, R. Kelly Freak Nasty. Like, no, 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 like, sends R. Kelly back to school Freak Nasty. But, with consent. Awesome. So, with consent. There you go. There's the kicker. So, a couple... I don't know what happened to it. I don't know if it's still running or if it was just in previews or what was going on with it. But a couple weeks ago, months ago now, actually, it was just when I started this new job, I noticed advertisements all along my walk to work for a musical called, like, like James and Nora or something. It was, um, or like, love, love, someone decided to make a musical about those letters. <laughs> Someone was like, you know what is something romantic that we haven't written a musical about? The freaky ass letters that James Joyce and Nora Barnacle wrote to each other. Why? Nice. <laughs> the world, the world always can get a little bit better. It seems. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Why would? But yeah, um, they genuinely are like into each other um, in a <laughs> in a deep and gross way. Um, <laughs> deep. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, and so if that's the sort of thing you need inspiration for, like, please read them. They're available on the internet. And what's what's compelling about them to me, actually, is recently people started spreading around not just... For a long time, it was just Joyce's side of the correspondence. But recently people have been talking more and more about his wife's side of the correspondence, who, by the way, has a fantastic name. The woman was named Nora Barnacle. It's so good. It's just... <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, the musical's called Himself and Nora, by the way. I like that. Mm. Yes. 
I don't know how we want to like split the time up, um, dude and dudette. We just, uh, I guess, uh, I'd have to cook dinner for the the girlfriend person. Um, Ooh. Hey, so, well, I, uh, lucky, lucky, lucky. Well, we can just call it. It's, uh, it's, I mean, the thing is, these are always such good conversations. It's, uh, I don't fear not having another one anytime soon. Do we want to skip to the, like, the rapid fire portion? That's uh, probably. Let's save it for, let's save it for another time. I don't, Great. We can, just, we can just do a whole episode of that because we're getting more and more questions. Uh, but, you know, the listeners have a pattern, so we'll give them one rapid fire and, and we can wrap it up on that. How's that? Okay, great. Okay. Um, Stephanie. Yes. Do you mind if I break tradition for a second? Do it. Okay. I'll ask the one question. Traditions are made to be broken. Do you know which question I'm going to ask? Because our link is getting strong. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I was don't. gonna, I was gonna ask the new one. I'm gonna ask the new one. Oh, no, go you're for the, it. You're the first one. Uh, oh boy. Welcome to the club. Okay, so, question one, one A. Who would you have play you in a movie or a television series? Some actor or actress or actor. <laughs> oh man. Um I used to say Zach Braff. Uh That's fair, but... I can see it. <laughs> <laughs> um but you know what? I'm just gonna go for it. Um Chadwick Boseman. Do okay. it. Solid. Tie it all together. Very nice. <laughs> And, uh, Steph, do you have an answer for the people? Uh, my ghost hair answer is Anne Hathaway. Nice, nice. Ooh, that's good. That's short, good. short hair Anne Hathaway. <laughs> okay, okay. And, uh, I gotta pick, uh, Donald Glover to play me. He's a nerdy-ass black kid, whatever, man. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, that's pretty much what it is. But, wow, Izzy, thanks again for joining us a second time on such short notice and turnaround. It's it's been an absolute pleasure. It's always a fun time chatting with you. Well, I really enjoyed it, so thank you. Yeah, thank you. If the listeners, they're such great people, they're loyal, they have great taste in podcasts. If they want to see more of what you're up to or read some of your great words or that kind of thing, and they have the internet, how would they uh, find you? Um. Well. Uh, if they're interested, again, in pictures of my backyard and food, it's young, Y-U-N-G, dot Achilles, um, like the Greek hero on Instagram. <laughs> um, but a lot of what I do is write for the local newspaper. So if they search my name, uh, Ismail, I-S-M-A-I-L, Smith, and Lancaster Online, ooh, uh, ooh. one word. Um, then they'll find some of my articles and my, like, opinions on things like, you know, free speech, uh, race and policing, um, the Sixth Amendment, et cetera, et cetera. If, you know, they're into that kind of thing. They can look at all up there. Cool. Very, okay. very solid. And, uh, Steph, you want to give the listeners some kind of tradition and get them with the social media biz? I will do that thing. Thank you, thank Alrighty. you. Alrighty. Um, so you can find Dom and I various places across the internet. You can find us writing long-form opinions about things at Lady Geek Girl and Friends. Um, it's an intersexual, intersectional, wow, Freudian <laughs> slip. <laughs> um, hey. <laughs> wow. Okay, Lady I'm Geek Girl after dark. <laughs> I'm going to recover from that. Um, Lady Geek Girl and Friends is an intersectional feminist blog. Um, we talk about geek culture through that lens. 
I think we have some good posts, but I'm an admin, so I have to say that. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, really, I, I, I love our level. I love our site. I think there's some good content on there, so check us out there. Um, you can find Dom anywhere he wants to be found on the internet at Brother Dom. That's with an A in the middle, not a hard ER. You can find me on Twitter at Captain Steph or Tumblr at The Snow Queer. And you can follow this podcast um, in a variety of ways um, by going to Character Reveal on Facebook, by following us on Twitter at Character Rev, which is character and then the letters R-E-V, so there are two R's in the middle there. Um, you can find us on Stitcher and wherever else you get your podcasts except for iTunes because of Apple right now. Um, <laughs> We're working on it. They responded <laughs> again. <laughs> yeah, there, it's, it's a never-ending cycle of support emails. Essentially, um, it's a season of Naruto. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you can follow our podcast directly at our Simplecast page, which is characterrevealed.simplecast.fm. Great stuff, great stuff. And, you know, we're trying to do more and more. Uh, might even be on Google Play soon, because uh, I looked at what the process was, and it seems to just be, give us an RSS feed. Uh, <laughs> so <laughs> it, it might be simple. So you may be listening to this on a variety of ways coming soon. But, you know, listeners, thanks again for listening to our great things. As always, if you have any suggestions, ideas for questions or guests, please let us know on all the things that Steph mentioned. Once again, Izzy, thank you so much for joining us. We'll have to... Uh, Catch you again once we're super famous superstars, and then we can have friends like Chad and <laughs> be awesome. <laughs> so, uh, any last, uh, any parting words for anybody? Yeah, actually. Okay, so point of order, exactly what I was talking about. Today in Puerto Rico, massive island-wide blackout will not be on the front page of my paper tomorrow morning, which I found out from a New Yorkian friend, um, you know, posting their swag on Facebook. So, like, if you're hearing this, like, get out. Check alternative sources of media, right? Like, broaden your perspective, please, and thank you. Thank you, Dom and Steph, for having me. Uh, thank you, anybody unfortunate to be listening to me right now. Uh, <laughs> uh, they, they love it, everyone. Everyone loves it. It's, it's always fun. We're, we're so close to being famous. It's, we're so close. <laughs> but <right> uh, <laughs> we, we hope you enjoyed this one, listeners. And uh, until next time, see you later. Bye. Bye.